Hi there, and welcome to episode three of Spark Minds, the podcast about creativity. Today, we're going to talk about the top five myths surrounding creativity and what you can do to overcome them for yourself or for your team. Myth number one creativity is an inherent trait. Shakespeare, Stephen Hawking, Madonna. When we think of creative people, we imagine that they were just somehow born that way, that they are inherently creative while perhaps we ourselves are just not. But how true is that? Well, research on this is actually kind of mixed. And to refer back to episode one, it depends largely on how you define creativity. You know that I personally believe creativity to be a skill that everyone can learn. However, research does suggest that your tendency towards creative output is correlated to certain personality traits. If you're not familiar with them, most social science researchers swear by what we call the big five personality traits. They are five dimensions, and you can score more or less highly on each. These dimensions include things like extroversion, neuroticism, conscientiousness, agreeableness, and openness to experience. Guess which one you usually need to score highly on to be considered creative? You guessed it, openness to experience. Rating highly in this trait usually means that you're curious, more willing to take risks and try out new things, and usually more open to emotions and unusual ideas. All things that you can imagine are useful to engage with the creative process. So, is it all doom and gloom for people who do not rate highly in openness? Not necessarily. Everyone has some capacity to openness to experience, after all. And if half of creativity is that initial curiosity, then the other half is the process that follows testing it and building it. These are things I believe we all have and can train ourselves to develop. What matters is the why, otherwise known as intrinsic motivation. A Mobile's study shows that in conjunction with your personality traits, intrinsic motivation plays a big role in creative output. Maybe that's enjoyment, pleasure, sense of achievement, or feeling of contributing meaningfully. Whatever it is, that intrinsic motivation combined with your degree of openness will ultimately affect your willingness to engage in creative endeavors. Myth number two creatives are lone wolves. Tied to the idea that the creative is born and not developed is the idea that the creative is a lone wolf, toiling away in solitude to produce a masterpiece. Interestingly, I feel like this image applies more to men we deem creative rather than women. As I was thinking of examples, I found that most creative women I could think of were usually also equally famous. For their association with a creative man. Take Dora Maar and Pablo Picasso, for example. Whereas famous men are not generally remembered in popular memory as being associated with creative women, even if they were. For example, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald. I guess there are some exceptions to this rule. Take Jay Z and Beyonce, who are both equally famous in their own right and famous for their association with each other. Still, I think there's some food for thought there about who we choose to think of as lone creative geniuses and who we don't. But that's besides the point. 
My point is that we tend to think of the artist or the creative as a lone person, when in actual fact, even when creating alone, there are usually many others involved in the process. This is very linked to myth three, that creativity is that eureka moment. It makes sense for creativity to be a lone activity if we believe it is the moment that one is struck with divine inspiration. But in reality, most creative ideas are built upon others. We can look so far because we stand on the shoulders of giants. Take scientists James Watson and Francis Crick, widely credited with the discovery of the double helix structure of DNA. First of all, it took a team of more than just two people to research and come up with this finding. Secondly, their work built very heavily on previous work done by another pair of scientists, Rosalind Franklin and Morris Wilkins. Their research and discovery of the double helix structure was made possible due to Rosalind Franklin's work on X-ray images of DNA. Or take Leonardo da Vinci, the prototypical lone genius and renaissance man. This guy was literally into everything. Seriously, what didn't he do? From drawings and sculptures to studies of anatomy and botany, even engineering. And secondly, he worked with others. He started his artistic career at his teacher's studio. It was known as Verrocchio's workshop, where Botticelli was a contemporary, so was surrounded by other creatives all the time. And he collaborated with other creatives, for example, with the mathematician Luca Pacioli on his book Divina Proporzione, on maths, architecture, and the golden ratio. Apparently, it is possible to be a master of all trades, but did he do it all alone? The answer, of course, is no. First of all, his work, though incredibly impressive, was heavily inspired by previous masters, such as his teacher Verrocchio. Which leads me on to myth four. So does that mean for a team to be creative, everyone must get along? Not necessarily. There is a delicate balance between team cohesion and team creativity. Too much cohesion might result in groupthink, but to come up with genuinely interesting and useful ideas does require some consensus. Research suggests the most important factors in mitigating groupthink while maintaining adequate group cohesion are ensuring that developmental feedback and a learning culture is built into your team's practices. And finally, myth five. Brainstorming is one of the best methods for generating new ideas. Is it though? That depends. Studies suggest that there are limits to how creative a brainstorming session can be. Turns out how effective your brainstorming session is has a lot to do with who is in the brainstorming session. And I'm not talking about whether those people are quote unquote creative either. Actually, it has more to do with status and participants' perception of status. The more the participants present themselves as subject experts, the fewer creative or novel ideas get shared in a brainstorming session. So given all of that, what can you do to work that creative muscle? Number one, reject everything you believe a quote-unquote creative person must be. 
creative person is you. If you're struggling with creativity, practice exercising your curiosity and see where that takes you. Number two, interact with people whose work you admire. Whether you're an extrovert going out into the world to form a book club, or an introvert who'd rather do some research in the library, there are hundreds of different ways to interact with the works and ideas of others. Look at them and their ideas as the springboard for your own, or look for opportunities to collaborate with someone unexpected. Number three, if you are engaging in team creativity, seek to facilitate your session in a way that creates a culture of constructive feedback and gives equal weight to all opinions. It might sound obvious, but think of all the unconscious ways in which we prioritize the opinions of people with a higher status. Do we instantly hush and go quiet when they talk, while others have to raise their voice above the din to be heard? And do we invite experts to share their expertise, rather than asking everyone to take on the approach of a learner? Some food for thought. Thank you for tuning in to Spark Minds. Don't forget to subscribe to get a new episode on creativity every month. You'll find all references for the episode in the show notes and more information on how to connect with me at www.virginiepython.com. Today's creativity quote comes from Maya Angelou. You can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. <laughs>